Hi everyone and welcome back to Decrypt. I'm your host Nick Rice and today I'm delighted to be joined by Leanne Kennedy Badali, who is a principal in our security and risk consulting practice in the Americas. Leanne is based in the Bay Area and she's responsible for advising clients on issues related to enterprise security, risk management, security program development and implementation. And she's a recognized expert on risk and political violence. Leanne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nick. I'm excited to be here. And on the other side of the United States, I'm delighted to introduce Steve Sachs, who is a senior consultant in a cybersecurity practice. He specializes in providing technology risk, intelligence, and cyber risk advisory to our clients throughout the Americas region. He's also served as a cyber risk strategist, sorry, addressing threats posed by new and disruptive threats to key corporate cybersecurity management programs. And before control risk, Steve spent almost 10 years serving in the U.S. Marine Corps as an intelligence officer. Steve, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks so much, Nick. Great to be here. So guys, today I wanted to talk about what's often been termed as the convergence. Uh, You'll both be keenly aware that for a number of years now, clients from all around the world, but the community of cyber and physical security professionals and risk managers have been discussing the convergence of cyber and physical threats, the convergence of cyber and physical risks. And we really want to ask the question, what's going on with the convergence? Um, Maybe starting with you, Steve, I'd be really interested to get your take on what you've seen from a threat perspective and certainly from a cyber threat perspective, but from those physically enabled or cyber enabled physical threats. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing today is the lowering of the barrier to entry to the cyber threat world. And and what I mean by that is cyber attacks, cyber offensive actions have really been relegated to the realm of technical specialists for a number of years. And what we've seen on the rise, you know, in, in these past few years is this kind of as a service marketplace that's developed online. So that can be ransomware as a service, business email compromise as a service, the ability for a non-technical individual to engage in offensive cyber attacks without the need for that technical expertise. That opens up a whole new world of attack vectors for anyone attempted to conduct nefarious activities against a target. One of those audiences is quite frankly, the physical attack space, that audience. And so what we see now are, are individuals whose main goal is to achieve physical entry into a target space, very easily now being able to leverage a suite of cyber attack tools and capabilities that were previously out of reach to them as a sort of support function to get them in the door to achieve that objective. And and so in your view, is it was it a capability issue that we we hadn't spoken about these things so much that it was you needed that deep technicality to be able to compromise physical systems or to 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 have access to cyber capabilities to enable a physical attack? Or did something change in the intent as well? 
I think it may have been an aspect of siloing in the sense that it was far rarer to find, uh, you know, a physical intrusion specialist who also had highly technical cyber skills and capabilities and, and vice versa, right? You don't find a lot of cyber attack specialists, coders, you know, hackers, as the, as the lexicon says who have physical entry, you know, penetration capabilities. And so what we're seeing is with the lowering of that barrier to entry in the cyber world, it's opened up the capability for that dual specialist, right? And I think that's what's really changed in the space recently. And Leanne, how do how do you see it from your end? I mean, a lot of what you do is is working with with corporates and and executives on risk management and and protection and responding to these sort of breaches and these attacks on the physical and on the digital side. So are you seeing that same phenomena of of more actors having the ability to leverage both capabilities? Yeah, thanks, Nick. I I think we are. Um, The the work that my team or the team that I sit on does in control risks is often focused on preparation and organizational structure and the pieces of the puzzle that will get an organization ready to meet a threat or to manage a risk or to address a vulnerability. And so what we see is a growing recognition among our client partners that these two areas of vulnerability, these two areas of security practice, cyber and physical security cannot be treated separately because of what Steve was just saying, because there is a crossover between them and because um, it is it is um, just just senseless really to, to think about one without the other. Um, so what we see is a growing collaboration in some cases, some t- cases it's structural alignment across the different organizations. Um, I think though there's still quite a big gap in terms of education. If you think of the cybersecurity expert population and the physical security expert population, they sometimes even lack a common language. So a lot of the work that we do is educating one side about the other and pointing out how they can bring their resources together. and, And when they do that, they have a more robust set of protections and a, and a better ability to understand what's out there because layered defense is necessary. You absolutely have to have a combination of um, detection capabilities, risk assessment capabilities, mitigation capabilities, and one without the other just really leaves a blind spot for organizations and, and organizations that we work with. It's interesting. I'm I'm watching Steve on on the camera stream, sort of uh, frantically agreeing with you here, Leanne. Steve, is that that issue of a common language? Uh, and I want to come back after on the points that you raised here, Leanne, of structural alignment versus cooperation and collaboration, because I'm sure for a lot of listeners, that's that's the current headaches that they're going through. But Steve, what wh- what's your view on that common language point? Is this also something you're noticing on the cyber side from a technical expert perspective, where we're we're still seeing an inability sometimes to express themselves in ways that the rest of the risk management organization can understand? Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's a common theme for, for cyber to a number of different audiences that, you know, it is required to communicate with in order to, you know, 
execute its mandate, get the job done. I think most recently we've seen, you know, clients come to us and say, how do we as cyber experts communicate to our executive management uh, or more, even more recently board of directors as new regulations are coming to the front. But, but what Leanne's getting at is absolutely crucial, which is the cyber experts need to develop or need to work with their physical security counterparts to develop that common understanding, speaking that language of risk and threat and vulnerability, because oftentimes, again, talking about that siloed understanding of physical versus cyber, the physical and cyber understand their lanes exceptionally well. They are experts in their field, but understanding this convergence and how that changes the threat, the nuances of vulnerabilities is is in an emerging field right now and can only or can primarily be dealt with with open communications and a common understanding of the problem that the team as a whole is now facing. We'll be back to the podcast in just a moment. If you have any questions for myself, Luke or Mark, please feel free to reach us on cyber@controlrisks.com or you will also find us on our controlrisks.com website with a detailed list of all the services and our thought leadership that we provide on cybersecurity and technology risk issues. All the links are in the description below. And now back to the podcast. So can we bounce back on on what Leanne was describing? And, And I'm keen to hear both your thoughts on this, because that's probably one of the biggest challenges that certainly in my experience I've had when when talking with our clients. I think everybody acknowledges that the world is moving to this converged state to where interconnectivity of even if you think about physical security systems, CCTV systems, you're looking at security operation centers, all of these are connected now, and all of this are reliant on cyber defense measures to function properly. Equally, when we look at the critical vulnerabilities on the cyber side, subsea cables, data centers, all of these are incredibly physical assets. So I think few people today would argue, no, 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 we need to look at these two things completely in isolation and silo. And yet, I've seen very few organizations that have managed to do that convergence well. Can you sort of give us your take on why that is? Is it a, is it centers of powers within organizations that are just too strong and then these forces are competing too harshly? Is it that we haven't approached it in the right way in that structure versus nurture? Um, what What is the issue that you guys are seeing in many organizations that prevents that convergence from happening effectively. I can start here for a second, Nick, and I'm I'm smiling as you're talking because I think you've hit on a number of the challenges. One is just organizational history, right? Physical security teams and corporate security teams tend to sit with the organizational sponsor that most wanted them or most felt capable of caring for them, whether that's the legal team or sometimes the real estate team, sometimes it's, um, you know, uh, other entities. And so I think with any any organization, there's an inertia in reorganizing the seating chart. And, and frankly, that comes into budgets and who owns budgets and so forth. And and there's reasons that, that, that companies have the organizational structures that we do. I think it's not always an easy marriage. Uh, we see some companies try it. And I've also got clients that are splitting it apart again. So I think, you know, coming back to establishing the processes for coordination and collaboration doesn't have to be an a line of authority on an organizational chart it can be dotted lines it can be a deep a deep level of collaboration but you do have to have 
people in both camps, if we're saying these are camps, that are willing to learn about the other and make the effort to do things a little bit differently. Steve, is that, is that what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. And I, and I think it's actually comes back to that that lack of a common lexicon piece because you know it it takes a lot of time work and experience to become a master at the craft of physical security a master at the craft of technical cybersecurity and so i think these folks devote a lot of time and energy to being the masters of their field and oftentimes that's that puts blinders on them to reaching out to other other parts of the organization that that may be complementary to them. And where I think the common lexicon can be very, very helpful for these teams is that there are aspects of cybersecurity, prevention, identification, detection, response, or recovery that absolutely have overlay and overlap with physical security. You know, for example, a lot of companies have devoted resources, time, and effort to, you know, helping their employees be educated about phishing. And stopping phishing on emails, you know, spear phishing, spam, things like that. You know, there are tools out there. Uh, companies are running exercises weekly, monthly, quarterly with their workforce so that employees can more readily identify and report these potentially nefarious cyber penetration attempts. You can do the same thing in the physical space, right? Just we, I just came off a, a, a red team penetration test this week. And one of the things that we do every time is we test different aspects of how to, you know, get past a front desk or piggyback with an employee through a door. It's the same mentality. It's the same mindset of identifying or helping your employees identify what some of these red flags are and being able to report it to the right individual. Because at the end of the day, your employees, the the human beings in your business can be your strongest defense and can sometimes be your weakest point. I, I really like the, the the corollary or the parallel between the, the uh, on the red team side between the cyber and the physical side because just last week I, I was talking with one of our, our clients about some of the challenges that they've had in looking at risk management holistically across the organization because employees just don't think of these risks in the same way. I think very instinctively most employees understand safety risks. They understand that look if they go into a high risk location their lives may be in danger if they do not follow procedures. Oddly enough, on the digital side or on the cyber side, we're not seeing that same level of understanding by many, that that they're, they're, the hygiene that they bring, the controls that they follow organization, organizationally or personally are equally as critical to doing this. So can we, can we go on to that red team example that you've mentioned, Steve? So I think this is one of the most fascinating developments that we've seen in the recent years. It's, you know, 10 years ago when we were looking at penetration testing, it's sort of both cyber and physical pen tests were always run separately. It, it was really rare to bump into organizations that were looking at these red teams that would enable us to test both sets of controls. Is this what you're seeing? And interestingly, if you can walk us through the typical scenarios that both of you have employed, and I'd be interested to think about this from an executive protection standpoint as well, um, what are the scenarios that you're most commonly seeing leveraged in these red teams? Yeah, I can I can take this one first. It's it's emerging. It's nascent. I think that have clients who are asking for kind of this this dual threat approach of both cyber and physical. But I I absolutely believe it's the way of the future. And in five to ten years, you won't see a purely physical penetration test anymore. 
I, I think one of the scenarios that that we worked on again this past week is you know, when you're doing a physical penetration test, your objective is to get inside the door without raising suspicion or alarm. And one of the ways you can do that is developing a believable backstory for you as the penetration tester to be walking up to the front desk, like essentially getting yourself on the visitor log in a semi-legitimate way. And there are ways through, through cyber activities to make that happen. Everything from spoofing a domain that's that's really close to a third-party vendor, right? So we are controlrisks.com. If I bought controlrisk.com and started sending emails to our clients, right? I don't know how many of them would pick up on that readily or immediately. And this is not a source of inspiration for people out there listening to this. We do look at typo squatting and 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 domain domain hijacking. But please continue, Steve. It's a great example. Yeah. And there are tools there are tools out there that are fantastic at being able to prevent this. But I'm saying like as a scenario, you know, impersonating a third party vendor to get in the door is is absolutely a very um intermediate level, right? It's, you don't need a lot of expertise to register a domain on, you know, one of, one of the sites and have that email ready to go within five minutes, right? You can, you can go kind of more advanced as well and go through something, you know, we call a business email compromise, which is, you know, oftentimes a successful phishing attempt of an employee leads to a credential exposure that allows a threat actor to log into that employee's email as if they were the employee. Now you're sending emails throughout the organization as an internal actor, right? You're on the inside. And so now you can imagine an executive sending an email to their EA saying, you know, we're expecting these, you know, two utility workers at 10 a.m. Please, you know, show them around and, and let them go wherever they need to go. Boom, you're on the access list. So again, there, there's this imminent emerging partnership between cyber and physical where they absolutely enable each other. And, you know, I think as clients begin to recognize this as that emerging threat, again, I don't think we're going to see pure penetration tests in either one of these domains moving forward. Leanne, is that the same perspective that you have on the issue? Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm thinking, you know, as as Steve is talking about some of the areas where our teams within control risks collaborate now, which is helping clients understand the personal information that may be revealed online. And, and as Steve was talking, I was thinking about the fact that in some cases, you don't even need to do that much social, I mean, that much social engineering, you don't need a hacking tool. If I can find you on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and you're posting time and place predictable information, and I can, you know, link to your friends through your accounts, I can find out a lot about you. And if I can figure out who your EA is at that point, I can have a pretty good explanation and and talk my way into things, as as Steve has mentioned. And one of the other things, you know, about the 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 red teaming, some of the work that we do is helping clients protect technical assets. So it's the physical security protection of technical assets, right? And so if you think about where the keys to the kingdom are, where are the crown jewels in a lot of companies these days, it's not a thing that you're going to walk out the door with, you know, and it's it's getting inside a system, plugging something into it. It's easier to do that. And there's tons of cover. And with offices not very full now, 
kind of a toss up. Is that easier or not easier to get into a space that you're not supposed to be in with, with a hybrid work environment? But I think that's changing quite a lot too, how companies think about the intersection between physical and cybersecurity. And I think this is probably going to be a topic for a future podcast, but that does bring up the risks of insiders, either willing or unwilling insiders. And and that's certainly a case, you know, we've talked about this for a long time in our world of sort of, it, it used to be, and hopefully it is getting harder these days to just leave a USB stick in a parking lot and lo and behold, you wait a couple of days and somebody would have plugged it in and, and that would have beacon back. I'm also reminded when Steve, you were mentioning sort of the ability uh, to simply change the manifestos of like who's coming into an office. There was that that very notorious hack of the port of Antwerp back in, in, in 2014, where essentially uh, drug traffickers managed to remove several cargo manifestos of the port to ex- escape inspections by law enforcement when, when the, the ships would arrive and sort of be able to smuggle drugs into Europe from South America by this sort of first instances of the very beginning innings if you're not a nation state let's let's caveat this because they've been doing this for a lot longer um beginning of that that hybrid crossover so guys as as we've gone through this it it, it seems clear to me that and steve i I like what you're saying here it's going to be really difficult to conceive of pen testing without either of cyber or physical or both components in in the future and and that's something that a lot of our, our, our listeners here and certainly a lot of organizations out there are thinking about. But again, we go back to the challenge of culture, to the challenge of having these teams work, work together. So very tactically, and maybe Leanne, starting with you, what, what are some of the key recommendations that you would see? What, do you, what have you seen that works like at a very tactical level that people can go into their offices and their teams tomorrow and really sort of start pushing it? I think the first thing, Nick, really just has to be a conversation about what the organization identifies as its key risks. What are the risks that it's willing to tolerate? What are the risks that need to be mitigated? And understanding, assuming there's two, there's a separate corporate security, physical security team and a separate cyber team. What are the assets that each of them have to deploy? What are the controls that they have in place? Who are the personnel that they have in what locations, you know, and, and how would each of them identify that something is happening, right? What's the what's the trigger to understand that we've got a problem on the perimeter or we've got a problem with the firewall, you know? And from there, you can begin to think about, well, what do we do together? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? How do we collaborate? How do we engage on a regular basis? Quarterly meetings are a great place to start, right? Joint exercises. You know, I know our crisis management team does a lot of work around exercising, and and that's a great venue to begin this conversation. And and there are a lot of gaps between teams that show up in crisis management exercises. You know, if you want to go farther down the line, you can build joint policies and processes and escalation trees and so forth. And then, of course, you know, joint training. I think I rarely see that done. We often, as any employee, has separate physical access control training, for example, from separate cybersecurity, making, taking care of your device training. But if we could begin to help employees understand that it is a holistic risk, it's not separate risks, it's a holistic risk. And if you go back to, um, you know, thinking about the intent of a hostile actor, that will help pull the threads of the puzzle together. 
Yeah. And I think, I think to, to add on to that, it really does need to start from the top. It is a, it is a corporate culture that needs to drive all of this. And I know Leanne was spot on with companies and organizations need to know what they have, right? Then they also need to know of what they have, what's the most critical, right? What are those crown jewels? And, and then they need to take a look at what their threat picture is for their environment, right? You know, not every organization is Fort Knox, right? Not every organization is GCHQ for, for the UK, right? Understanding that, you know, company resources are not unlimited. And oftentimes of the resources that are there, a small percentage goes to security, a small percentage goes to cyber. And so recognizing where to allocate that limited funding is crucial and, and needs to be driven by an understanding of the threat picture. From there, I think, companies need to understand or, or determine what their risk appetite is, right? So now that they know what the threat looks like and they know what their critical assets are, they need to determine, you know, what level of risk are they willing to accept? Draw that cut line and say, you know, anything below this point, we just have to either accept or, or mitigate differently. And then that risk appetite, that understanding of, of, comprehensive risk across the team needs to be communicated across the business in because every team needs to hear that slightly differently to better inform their own actions, right? So physical security is going to hear that risk appetite definition. Cybersecurity is going to hear that risk appetite definition. And as long as the corporate culture of collaboration and, you know, an understanding of why this is important has been shared across the workforce, now you've developed this entire ecosystem that is threat-informed, risk-driven, and collaborative across domains where you're breaking down those silos within the organization and you have that holistic approach to security and defense. So let me then take both of you backwards and say, what have you seen that really doesn't work? And where have you seen it go catastrophically wrong? I mean, Leanne, you mentioned working with some organizations that are now reversing the whole thing, saying probably because it didn't work. What are some of the snippets of horror that you've seen in this process of dealing with these converged threats where you're like, yeah, that's a good lesson. We're not going to do that again. You know, snippets of horror. Um, I think, unfortunately, where it really breaks down is where people refuse to cooperate or where you have people that simply cannot conceive of doing things differently than the way that they have done them in the past. And that's one of the things that excites me when we look at our industry and we look at, at the, the, the younger generation, the kids that are coming in these days, you know, they're digital natives and they have a different understanding of the, there's not a separation in a way between a digital life and a, and cyber and, and real life or some, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think it, it does fall down simply on people being unwilling to take a risk, to do things differently, to share some budget, to be humble about what they don't know, what they do know and what they don't know. Um, it, I honestly, I don't think there's there's barriers other than human ones. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll jump right on that too and say, you know, on the human aspect, without executive buy-in, all of this fails, and, and it's difficult. It, it, and it's not only on the executives, right? It's absolutely incumbent on security experts across domains to be effective in their communication of what they're seeing on the ground, what their teams are seeing in the network, and communicating that through the lens of business risk and impact to functions and operations. Absolutely. But without executive buy-in, 
there is no impetus. There is no, there is no reason for these teams to, to reach out and expand their horizons on how this is done. And we work closely with a number of, you know, executive management individuals on, on better understanding, better communicating with their cybersecurity experts. It's a difficult bridge to build. But once it's built and once that buy-in has been established, that team feels empowered. Right. That team feels empowered to reach out to their counterparts in physical security. They feel empowered to communicate to different risk owners of business operations and functions across the enterprise and share that common understanding, that common vision of a way forward. And, and I, I just from my, from my own personal experience, it has to start from the top or it's never going to make its way all the way down to your frontline employees. It's really fascinating to hear you both speak about the buy-in component, but Leanne, I really like the point around the humility that we all need to have. And I, I would add that humility on the cyber side as well. I think as cyber experts, we we very quickly also believe that no one else but us understands the future and the digital environment that we live in. And certainly it is something where there is a bit to learn from everywhere and everyone. So let me take this you know, 10 years ahead, you, Steve, you've mentioned that in 10 years, we probably won't have just physical or just cyber pen tests. We'll have everything. You look at the level of interconnectivity that's going on today. You look at the massive acceleration of technology, but Leanne, to your point, the fact that, you know, what we used to call IRL in real life versus online is blurring. We we know digital identities for both corporations and for individuals are becoming increasingly critical assets. For each of you, do you think we will tomorrow have, and no one's going to hold you to account on the answer, so please just, just, just be free and blunt and direct. Do you think we will have but one security function in organizations? Are we all going to eventually converge or are we just going to have different functions, but with people working together? If you had to put your money on it, which one is it going to be? Steve, maybe you want to kick us off on that one. I think it's still going to be separate. And I think that's just the the incumbent hierarchical you know, architecture of organizations with, you know, CSOs and CIOs or, you know, chief risk officers. We've seen a growing trend in the industry of chief information security officers falling under general counsels, right? As these new and emerging regulations come out across the world, there's a, there's emerging legal liabilities in the cyberspace. I think every company is going to tackle that differently. And I think they're going to want to retain the flexibility to employ and deploy their physical security and cybersecurity in the way that makes most sense for their business. So I think for that reason, I will, I will put my vote on uh, separate but collaborative. All right. Well, with that challenge laid down, I feel like I have to take the, the counterpoint position. And, and I'll say that I'll say that the rise of the GC and the rise of the chief risk officer will be the, the, the point where these experts converge. I think you're always going to have people who have expertise in one or the other or have experience in one or the other. But I think they, the, the skills and the processes are increasingly going to be similar. What we see for corporate security teams is if they are not getting on board with technology and using data for decision making, for example, they are not going to be there in five or 10 years, right? So I think there's a natural evolution of processes 
and the way that we understand risk and think about risk that will drive the practices together. But you're always going to have people that are more comfortable in one world or the other. So so maybe I'm splitting the difference and I'm saying they're going to report into the same place, but they will still have different you know, expertise or paths into the industry or certifications. And the certification point, again, could be the topic of, of about 15 hours of, of podcast discussions around which certifications are relevant matter and which one should you think about as you enter into the industry. But I, I wanted to maybe close off this, this podcast by asking you one last question. And it's really about the technology and the tooling that you're seeing both sides of the fence converge around because we've talked about the processes we've talked about the methodology on the pen testing side but i'm really interested in you know you both regularly work with either cybersecurity operation center or gsocs out there and you work with intel feeds and you both have an intel background where we are seeing similar tools come onto the marketplace that now serve both functions what is your current view of that landscape? Should somebody working in cybersecurity today start looking at what their GSOC is doing and they ask the question, well, how are you bringing the data in for your Intel? How are you actually processing it with machine learning or no machine learning? What, what are the outputs and vice versa on the physical side? Are you seeing that convergence of the toolkit just as much as we're seeing the threat convergence and potentially the process and methodology convergence? I can I can start off with that one, Nick. I'm I'm smiling because I don't think there's a there's yet the right toolkit to bring everything together. We do a lot of work with clients who want to integrate data streams to get a better, more accurate, and more dynamic picture of risk. And so if you think of what that means for a traditional security component, a physical security team, that's gonna be Perimeter detection is going to be access control. There's signals from that. There's going to be geopolitical risk information in there. There's going to be all kinds of information. And, and if you know, we briefly touched on insider risk, if you want to understand how people are using their corporate tools, that's a piece of the puzzle too. So I think where the tools are right now is showing us what's happening and what's happening backwards. In the future, what's going to be interesting, if you think about risk management, is looking at what combinations of data from cyber, from, from geopolitics, from anything else, can show us trends and patterns to help us think farther ahead. And, and I don't think that's here now, but I think that's where we're trying to go. And that's where I see our clients working really hard to bring those pieces of the puzzles together and hand jamming it if needed. Um, more work to be done. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on the the Intel portion of your question, Nick, here, and talk about kind of those threat feeds that come in. I think, you know, we've seen an emergence of platforms in the space that are, you know pushing threat information tailored to clients uh, about, you know, whether they be physical attacks or cyber attacks, you know, however the client determines they want to set those filters. I think where we're going to see the convergence come together for incredible impact to the business is in the interpretation of that information and the transformation of it into intelligence and intelligence that's directly informing business decision points. So if there's a, an emerging cyber attack that that's being pushed to um, you know, a CISO at a business through one of these platforms, they take that information, they interpret it through, you know, what does this mean for our business? 
to include how does this impact the physical security space? And they sit down with the various security specialists and, and, and domain owners and they say, hey, what does this mean for us? Again, holistically, as we look at the security of the business. And I think where, where there is such an opportunity for, you know, the convergence to bring these benefits to the business space is in that understanding of the threat environment and how it impacts security writ large across the space. Can I just add on to that for a second? I mean, I think, you know, this comes back, Steve, to something we were talking about earlier in the call about the education of decision makers. And one of the things that I think is lacking right now is the the contextual understanding of, you know, when one or other parts of an organization thinks that the sky is falling, is it really? I mean, it might seem that way from where you sit, but is it really, is the sky actually falling? And, and how, you know, how do we get that common understanding of how important things are or what is the proportionate response? You know, that's an area where I think executives, particularly can be scared of cyber information and can, might might just agree to who knows what um, if they don't really understand the scope of a problem. So that, that, complete educational process and alignment on what we mean by risks and threats and levels of them. Are we using the same number system? Anything like that is, is really important going forward too, to support that decision-making process. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Wow. Well, guys, we're coming up to time and we could keep going for another three hours talking about this. I want to thank you so much for joining me today and importantly for providing these fascinating insights, both at the very strategic and the very tactical level. It's been a pleasure to have you both on the podcast and looking forward to having you guys on back very, very soon. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nick. It was fun. Thanks, guys. We have a whole host of episodes coming soon to Decrypt, covering the most crucial topics, breaking news, and strategic horizon scanning within the world of cyber that you need to be aware of. With analysis and discussion from our experts located around the world, subscribe to Control Risks Decrypt as we help you make sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting your business. For more information on how we can help you build a resilient, compliant, and secure organization realizing the benefits of technology, visit us at www.controlrisk.com. And remember, our experts are only ever one email away. Email us at cyber at controlrisks.com.